humans with resources. The human side of innovation. Hello and welcome to Human with Resources. I am Kristen Berry, the host of this podcast, and I'm so happy to be here today. On Humans with Resources, a podcast in conjunction with Inusual, we discuss the human side of innovation and creativity with guests from a global array of organizations. We at Inusual believe, as you do, that organizations must be innovative to stay relevant and succeed in our fast-paced and uncertain world. We also believe that the people in the organizations are the key to making that creativity and dynamism happen. So I have the pleasure of having conversations with leaders and professionals who can share their stories around leadership, organizational culture, and innovation. Today, I'm very excited to be here and having a conversation with Leslie Johnston. Leslie launched the Laudis Foundation as its first chief executive officer in January 2020, bringing over 20 years of management experience across multiple sectors. At Lotus Foundation, she is leading the development of its initial vision, strategy, and operating model to deliver on its aspiration for global markets that value all people and respect nature. Previously, she headed CNA Foundation as its executive director, repositioning it as a global catalyst to make fashion a force for good. And in terms of the Lotus Foundation, foundation just to give a very quick, quick rundown, um, it was launched in 2020, and it is responding to the dual crises of inequity and climate change by supporting brave, innovative efforts that inspire and challenge industry to harness its power for good. And they provide their partners with philanthropic capital, expertise, and connections as they work collectively with and through specific industries to help catalyze systems change. So welcome, Leslie. Thanks, Kristen. It's great to be here. It's so great to have you here. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I gave a little brief intro there, but maybe you can tell us more about yourself. Sure. Yeah, great. Well, I'm originally from the Chicagoland area um, in Illinois, mm -hmm. although I've been living outside the States for uh, a few decades now, and I'm located <laughs> in Switzerland. Yes. And I guess if I describe myself, I'm a mother of two teenage boys. I'm a wife to a Scottish writer. Um, I'm an avid runner. Uh, I like to uh, run long distances, sometimes at the expense of my knees. And <laughs> I spent many, many years living and working in Africa, uh, which was almost a decade of my life, but has very much influenced uh, how I operate and think. Wonderful. Really exciting. And I will add that Leslie and I have reconnected after um, also decades and decades of not being in connection. No. Um, yeah. We, we, we knew each other when we were about six, six years old. Yeah. We were friends. <laughs> we're still friends. We're again. <laughs> still. Um, yeah. And so our paths have crossed as we've both ended up here in Europe, which is very exciting. And I'm, I'm really excited to be able to talk to you a little bit more today. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the Lotus Foundation and its mission um, as an introduction to who you are as a leader? Sure. Great. Well, and I think you gave a nice framing of, of 
what we do. So, so Loudest Foundation, it's first of all, it's a new kid on the block. We just launched last year, and it is a private foundation sitting under the Brennick Meyer Family Enterprise, uh, okay. which is a group of businesses in philanthropy that's basically been in business for over seven generations. Um, and what it's trying to do is tackle what effectively is, I think, two greatest challenges of our lifetimes, the climate crisis in which we find ourselves and the deepening inequality that really is, is affecting um, our societies. And it's doing that through business and industry. And you may ask, well, what, what does a philanthropic foundation have to do about trying to change business and industry? And actually there's a lot we can do as philanthropy, you know, because the, the challenge that we see in the global economic system is that under the current incentives and even the ideas of the system that these types of issues around climate and inequality are actually exacerbated by the current system. And I'll give you an example. Okay. We do a lot of work in fashion. And if you buy a t-shirt from your favorite shop, the price of that t-shirt does not necessarily include the full cost of creating that t-shirt, including the environmental externalities or the social injustices that may have occurred. Um, instead, it, it includes the cost of the goods sold, um, but have you actually incorporated the fact that cotton uses a lot of water, you know, puts a lot of chemicals in the soil, or that perhaps the working conditions were not uh, safe, um, or people were not paid, you know, fair wages, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think that there is a role for business to play in trying to create better conditions for workers and try to tackle, you know, some of the injustice that we see in the system. Um, but it doesn't necessarily do that on its own. You know, there is a need for, you know, better rules of the system. There's a need for shifting power dynamics in the system. And there's also a need just to change our mindsets and change the way we think about things. So that's what we're trying to work on as Laudis. Um, and we're doing that in different industries, in fashion, in the built environment, in finance and capital markets. Um, we have about 15 months under our belt um, and, you know, just getting started. That's so exciting. It really is. And it's it's a, a larger scale from your prior, you know, your prior foundation that you were heading up, the, the CNA Foundation, no? It's a little bit larger. larger yes, it's larger. indeed. And I think, I mean, to be honest, I think when I look at what we did at CNA Foundation, I'm, well, I'm very proud of what we achieved in terms of the partners that we've had and, and some of the accomplishments. Um, mm -hmm. But I think at the same time, we were fairly blind perhaps to some of the bigger challenges. For example, we didn't necessarily have a climate focus. Okay. And, you know, some of our work with, that touched cotton, of course, had a positive impact on climate. When you start shifting from conventional to organic cotton, that actually creates more fertility in the soil. It makes farmers better and more resilient to uh, weather changes, which are caused by climate change. And therefore, there is a positive impact in making that that, that shift, but we didn't necessarily set out with a climate lens. So I think what Laudis allows us to do is build on the learnings from CNA Foundation, but have a very clear climate and inequality lens and really try to you know, use the power of business to create that change. Because business and the markets overall can be a really powerful lever for change. Um, and you know, as you said in the beginning, we wanna both inspire and challenge you know, business and industry to really harness that power um, and, you know, really be a force for good uh, in, in how they operate. 
That's great. And, and I love that, love how you mentioned, you know, learning and how you, you were learning from your experience in this, in, in your, in your prior foundation. And I know that before that you even brought years and years of, of experience, like you said, in, in Africa and other places. So that kind of gets me curious about, about you and your leadership story. And, and I'd like to hear a little bit about you as a leader. And I think, I think the listeners would enjoy it. <laughs> Sure. Well, let me think. Um, I mean, I guess if I look back at my career, it's almost a career in three parts because I started in business um, and I learned a lot in business. I mean, I spent time in management consulting, which actually sent me to Africa. So I was okay. lucky to be able to work in South Africa um, right uh, just after the fall of apartheid. Um, and in a steel company, uh, no less, which was interesting. Really? <laughs> if you've ever worked in a steel company, it's <laughs> fascinating. Um, anyway, so that was kind of my first first phase was really learning about business um, and also worked in a startup after that for a couple of years. But then I really felt, you know, something was missing. And, and I think that's maybe something that's a bit unusual and that I really wanted more purpose in my life. And purpose wasn't necessarily at the time helping a company be more profitable or a credit card company better mine its customer data. You know, I really just wanted- That was what you saw in the business side of things more. Yes. And and this is in the nineties as well. I think businesses of course have changed a lot. And I think the younger generation is- probably um, has more opportunities to engage in, in purpose-driven businesses. I mean, there's lots and lots of examples and, and it's important, mm-hmm. um, you know, to folks going after their first job. So, but at the time it wasn't as prevalent. Um, so I really wanted something um, a little bit more purposeful. And that's when I decided to jump into development. And my time in Africa was actually really um, impactful on me because I was my first time going to South Africa um, until then, you know, had very limited <laughs> travel outside of the U.S. Um, and really just seeing, you know, the, the starkness of the wealth and the poverty, you know, okay. in, in together really. And, you know, a very divided nation at the time um, going through reconciliation. And there's something there that really moved me. So I, I not only wanted to go into development, but I was intent on going to Africa, but doing it with a business lens. And, and that's where, I mean, that's kind of the red thread, I guess, through my my career journey so far is I really think that business can and should play a role. Um, and so- And let's, can, I, can yes? I interrupt you for one second? Was there a point that really was a, was a changing point in terms of you deciding, I don't want I don't want to just be in profit-driven business anymore, and I want to go into development. Was there was there was there a turning point? Yeah, there was, and I wish I could say it was an epiphany, and I said, you know, <laughs> "Screw this, I'm going to go save the world." But actually, what it was is <laughs> okay. it was two things. Um, it was nine eleven happened, okay. um, and I think at the time that sort of shook everyone up. I was still working at this internet startup. And, um, you know, at that point people were, you know, it it really was actually quite impactful. People were asking, you know, am I doing what I want to do? And life is so short. And the internet company I was working for um, was about to shut down. 
And, you know, I had three great years with them. Um, I, I think we had a great run. I learned a lot about building a business, Okay, uh, but we were going out of business. So the startup was stopping. Okay, um, and it, was, it was a chance to, you know, think about what's next. Um, okay. And it was so interesting because a lot of my colleagues, you know, just went to things that they never would have considered before. You know, one became a personal chef, someone else became a teacher, you know, one person became an adventure guide. Um, and I thought at the time, well, I have nothing to lose, you know, I'm in my twenties. Okay. I really want to go into development of some sorts um, and took the time to start trying to learn more how to break in. <laughs> Great. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. So, so there was a, there was sort of a point of reflection and and you said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to change something. All right. So, so, so yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And I guess it was more getting pushed out the door instead of, you know, willfully walking <laughs> through the door, <laughs> to be honest. Well, but, you know, and I, that's why I think like, you know, as, as anyone goes through their own career journey and leadership journey, I mean, things happen, you know, and you really, um, you can take advantage of it and see opportunity um, or you could, do what you know some of my colleagues did at the time which is they just started looking for the next internet startup and you know didn't necessarily see the the need to change and that's fine if that worked for mm-hmm. them i mean some mm-hmm. of them went to a company none of us had heard of before called google <laughs> <laughs> so they're pretty happy right now but anyway so <laughs> but the second phase was yes kind of going into development and there is also another piece to this which was i realized that i wanted to be with someone who is actually my husband now, and we've been together for 18 years. Um, But, you know, as part of my, let's change my career, I also thought, well, why not move to Europe and have a go at, you know, trying to see if if, uh, my husband, or not my future husband and I would um, have something there. So I did actually move to Brussels. He had been working as a diplomat in, in Brussels. And uh, so there's a personal impetus as well, uh-huh. uh, which which ended up very successfully. Um, so yeah, so I, yeah, we spent ten years. And I understand now. that, Leslie. I mean, same thing happened to me. So you know, <laughs> I know. and it's important. Um, yes. So I mean, I guess the, the 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 path I took is I I wanted to work in development, but I didn't want to be in kind of what I was. But at the time, I thought were sort of giveaway cultures of nonprofit organizations. You know, I felt it was important to, to really contribute and help to build viable businesses that employ people and train people. Okay. Um, so I joined a nonprofit called TechnoServe and ended up moving to Mozambique. And we spent about, just about nine years in all. Um, and that was a formative experience because it really helped me understand how change happens, you know, on the ground, you know, and, and how difficult it is and, um, you know, how hard it is to build businesses. I mean, I, I of course, was in a very, you know, unsuccessful one internet company for some time, but it's really, really hard. And I found that the, the work, you know, really centered around sort of uh, corporate supply chains and really trying to build businesses in these African countries to feed into that. And I found that exciting. And so moved around a bit, but eventually after about nine years, an opportunity came up to um, come to Europe and actually run a small private foundation still within this group that I'm part of 
um, and decided to take it for various reasons. I think one was I felt it would career-wise be really fascinating to work on the philanthropy side because I had been on the fundraising side and I knew a lot of donors. <laughs> I thought, okay. you know, donors sometimes don't understand, you know, what it's like to do work on the ground. So to actually be a donor and have that knowledge, I felt would be, you know, quite effective. So that was good. And from personal perspective, I felt it would be good for our family. We had two two boys at the time to, to be back in Europe um, mm -hmm. and uh, closer to their Scottish uh, relatives. So we made the jump um, and I've been here 10 years. So it's been kind of a 10, 10, 10 um, sort of, um, you know, amount of time, uh, maybe a little bit less on the business side. But I think, you know, what's really driven me during this period is, is one, I do think that there is this kind of sense of ambition and desire to want to do good in the world. And I think that's one good thing about philanthropy is you can actually think big because if you don't think big, mm -hmm. then you're wasting your philanthropic capital because you have to think big because philanthropy can take risks that others cannot. But I think also the sense of purpose really driving these decisions was always there. Um, but I, I think hear, also, I hear the purpose and, and, and the way that your values have really driven you in terms of, you know, adventure. Um, you know, I hear, I hear wanting change. I hear dreaming big. I mean, those are all, they're, they're values that people hold as well. Family, sort of the whole, yes. the whole picture. Right. And then deciding when you had the point, the, the chance to, to, to really make your life purpose driven. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of funny because you kind of hear these stories about people when they're setting up startups and they do it on the back of a napkin or whatever. <laughs> but we literally were sitting, you know, in a restaurant in South Africa and writing on the back of a napkin, kind of like <laughs> pros and cons, <laughs> of whether we uproot the family and move to a new continent. Um, but yeah, so it, it definitely has been a driver. And, you know, and I think also... I mean, just in my own personality, I, you know, I, I always see myself as kind of like the insecure overachiever, you know, which, you know, I really want to do more and more. And I think you can do more and more. And I aim high. Um, and I always raise the bar on myself again okay. and again, which is not necessarily a good thing, you know, but does it impact your leadership? It does. It, it impacts it in that I sometimes get restless and I sometimes get impatient. Um, you know, in fact, even today I had a meeting with my management team and we we're yeah. talking about something and I said, why can't you just do X? You know, you can do that in a day. And, you know, my colleague said, you yeah, know, we can do it in four to four to five weeks. <laughs> <laughs> like, why can't you do it 24 hours? You know, so, but I, I do think sometimes that, you know, it makes me a little bit unreasonable. And, and I think what's good though, and I feel really lucky to have a great team around me now is if there is trust and openness yeah. and we really care about each other, then that kind of stuff can get called out, you know, and, and it's not, everyone was sort of joking today about, oh, ha ha, Leslie, you know, you always think it can be done in a day, but actually it'll take three weeks. And that's great. You know, and I think yeah. that it's fine to be ambitious and to drive and to think big, but also to give people the space to kind of, you know, say, hey, wait, <laughs> that doesn't yeah. make sense. And so how do you give them that space? Like how do you create, because what you're talking about is, is as you mentioned, the word trust and, and psychological safety, where people are willing to speak up and take risks. And I've heard you talk about philanthropy is a place where 
you do take risks. You have to take risks because you can, right. To make yeah. change. Um, but so how do you align your team and, and create that environment? Yeah, it's a great question. Cause I'm still learning to do that. I wish I had the perfect answer to it, but I think <laughs> the things I've been trying to do, um, is, you know, well, first and foremost, in my current role, my team's pretty new. You know, we just okay. launched mm-hmm. 15 months ago and, and right. we've been building mm-hmm. the team over the past um, you know, year. And because of the pandemic, um, we haven't really been able to meet. In fact, some of us haven't even met the others ever. Wow. Yet we are supposed to be a high-performing management team that oversees right. this foundation. So there are some building blocks that I put in place that help with that. And, and one is we did actually bring in an external um, coach to mm-hmm. kind of help us understand, first of all, what drives each of us. So we subjected ourselves to one of these um, what are they, psychosomatic tests, um, mm-hmm. you know, like the Hogan, I think it was called. Okay. And really just understand the drivers of why we act and feel the way we do. Mm-hmm. But then secondly, we then pieced together what that means for us as a team. And, and based on that, created a team charter. And the team charter, I mean, I know it sounds maybe a bit silly, but it's a really important document because it's something no, we go back to. Yeah, and it's really, I, I have to thank the, the, the coach we've been using because it really helps us understand, you know, are we listening to each other? Are we trusting each other? And mm-hmm. after our monthly long meeting, at the end of the meeting, we actually have a reflection time where we where we ask, how did we perform, you know, vis-a-vis our commitments in, in the charter? So that's helped a lot. That's great. Um, it's it's really important. I encourage all of the leaders I coach and all and do it with all the teams I, I coach to to create an we call it an alliance or a charter. I mean, any you know, design partner alliance, partnership alliance. It's just great, wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's good to hear that because I had actually never heard about it. And I thought, oh, yeah. is I'm mad? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's fabulous. It's a fabulous way to consciously create the culture you want to create. And, yes. and it can be a great way to sort of prevent conflict, but also to be able to look at conflict when it arises, because it does arise. It's not a question of it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, it's been really good. And I think the other thing that was important, I think, and this is beyond my management team, but in starting the foundation, one of the first things I wanted to prioritize is the development and rollout of our values, because ultimately, you know, purpose is rooted in values. And um, as a new foundation, I and mean, of course, we built on the, the work of CNA Foundation, but we're new, um, and the process of, of developing those, um, I think, has been um, really important. Um, and the way that we did it as well, I think, helped to create that kind of, you know, I guess, co-design and maybe even trust. Um, so, for example, mm-hmm. yeah, actually developing them, we, we, we developed with a smaller group of people, but when we rolled them out, we had a series of three-hour dialogue sessions with mixed teams to kind of talk through them and actually start to engage with them and identify, okay, the value of courage. What does that mean? What behaviors do we need to have to really demonstrate that we have courage? You know, what does that look like? And together kind of crowdsourced all the behaviors associated with the four values that we have. So that I think was a good exercise that grounded us 
in the mm -hmm. same place. Um, and then we rolled out a little bit later in iValue, oh, hashtag iValue program where people can celebrate each other and basically call out uh, colleagues who are demonstrating one of the four values or more of them. Um, and that's been really wow. fun and celebratory exercise, which we do on, on workplace. We use workplace internally as our kind of communications platform. So, and, um, so it sounds like you've done a lot of groundwork to set up the culture really consciously. And in that groundwork, it's it's definitely been inclusive. It's included others in, in it's not like it's a top-down exercise. Yes, we we've we've done a lot. And I think that was a learning I had from the previous foundation, because mm -hmm. in a way, even though the previous foundation wasn't a new foundation because it had existed in many forms, what I had done when I came in was brought the three foundations together and basically developed with my board the new vision and mission. And it was also another kind of transformation. But what I didn't do was that values exercise. We did have values. Mm -hmm. We actually yeah. created them. Right. But then they, you know, sat on a piece of paper, you know, up right. on the shelf. Right. They do. <laughs> off yeah. all too often. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so co-creating and also identifying what these mean and keeping them alive. I mean, mm -hmm. and there's lots of great stuff that we did around this. And I mean, the yeah. team that's been working on this has been phenomenal, but you know, one thing they did was create a values toolkit. Um, so whenever teams have meetings, so, you know, a team or you know, whatever, a team, it could be a functional team or a program team, they there's all these exercises that that teams can do to just keep values top of mind and it could just be as simple as talk about them uh -huh. um, but there's yeah. other things that that are in there so lots of good stuff um and also sorry i'm going on and on about values but it's so important we we have a monthly um call with with all staff we have about 80 staff around the world and it starts with the values playlist. So people actually recommend songs, you know, that, that reflect our values. And it's playing while we're waiting for people to come and join the call. And it's fun and people are grooving and you know, snapping their fingers. So it's it's just really it. makes it fun. So so it sounds like you're having fun. I mean, part of it sounds like in your environment, people are having a good time as well as as, as you know, honoring values, working with a purpose. And you know, that, that makes me think about the fact that, you know, you're in an area that's all about creating, you know, helping to, or co-creating new solutions to some really big challenges in the world and innovating in that way. So how do you as a leader create your own headspace to be able to think outside the box? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, Cause I think that box uh, is pretty, uh, pretty established right now and you're trying to <laughs> you're trying to change the economic system it's, it's right. like fighting against you know vested interests so personally um yeah. I, I i guess i learned the hard way first and foremost that i i can't have headspace to do that type of work unless i take care of myself and okay. when i say i learned the hard way mm -hmm. um maybe about four four years ago or so i realized i was working really hard crazy hours. I was traveling all the time and I was just, you know, had extra weight on me. I wasn't exercising and mentally was just, you know, not great because of that. Um, and just focused too much on work, not on my family. Um, so I had to make a change. And so that's when I said, right, I need to do something, but 
I'm very goal driven. So I thought, mm-hmm. what can I do physically to kind of create the impetus for me to get my, you know, back end in, in, in line. And, um, and what came to me was to sign up for a marathon. And cause I thought, well, you know, a marathon is, is helpful because it's a big goal and you yes, it can't is. fake it. I mean, I'm almost 50. So at my age, I can't just show up and run it like a 20 year old could <laughs> kill myself. Um, but you know, it's an 18 week, very regimented training to actually right. work up to that. So that was my goal. And I said to myself, I'll do two a year until I can no longer do it. And, um, and I did it. And actually it's interesting because I realized when I first started running, I couldn't run more than a mile. And it was really, really hard to kind of get going. And I was listening to music to sort of motivate myself. But then I stopped listening to music because I realized as I was running, I was thinking. And for me, running almost became this kind of meditation and right. a way for me just to think and you get out of that box, as you say. Yeah. Um, which is great. So I've actually, it's, I mean, it sounds super corny, but I've actually written sort of speeches I've given while I'm running. You know, I'm just kind oh, of thinking through that amazing. or thinking about an op ed or thinking about, you know, an issue or a challenge at work and how we're trying to tackle it. Um, it's been really helpful. Sometimes I don't remember everything. That's a problem when you're running. <laughs> it's <laughs> you all in there though. Computer. It's all in yeah. there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the running has helped a lot and, you know, I'm still doing it. I just ran a marathon a couple of weeks ago and that's, you know, Congratulations. I just, I still feel, thank you. Yeah. And it's, it's really emotional. Like it I've done it six, is six of them and I still cry at the end. Oh, it's like, yes. Yay. <laughs> I, I ran one when I was 30 and oh yeah, I cried. It was, it's to this day, it's one of the, the best. I mean, it was by far the biggest physical challenge I've had, but I, I get that yeah. it, it is emotional. It's you push yourself and there's a goal and it's an experience. Yeah. It's wonderful. Absolutely. No, it is. It's, it's really special. So I'm hoping my body can hold up to keep doing that. Um, but the other thing I was thinking, and this is kind of a new thing as well, but I just feel like, you know, it's, it's not good to be too comfortable. And then I feel sometimes we, you know, we like our comfort zones, you know, yes, and, and, and that's habits after dinner. I like to settle in and watch Netflix and drink glass wine. And, you know, it's, it's just nice. Yes. But um, I do, Oh, sorry. Yes. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. 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 And and so I do feel like, and this is something I, I, you know, I'm not really sure how to describe it, but I just feel like I have to push myself to do something that makes me a little scared sometimes. And so, and this, this is kind of a new thing. Like I, I just started this past winter doing snowshoeing, but kind of snowshoeing Swiss style where you like snowshoe up a mountain, you know, you're like, balancing on a ridge and your heart is in your throat. Um, you know, and, and it's scary, but actually I kind of thrive on it and really, yeah, I really like it. And okay. And so yes, I've expanded that. I mean, I've, I've tried kayaking now. Um, I, I probably don't tell my husband, but I want to try motorbiking and, you know, and just things that, you know, make me a little scared, I think are good to just get over that and build your, your confidence in yourself. And how does that then translate into your leadership? Yeah, well, I think, I don't know if it translates in a good way, because I think sometimes <laughs> I can be maybe a bit no. naively optimistic, like, okay. you know, in that I am 
less likely to say, uh, no, it won't work and more likely to say, well, why wouldn't it work or why okay. not? You know, and, and so I think in a way, I like to challenge myself and my team to think, you know, why, why couldn't we do this? Mm-hmm. You know, it seems unsolvable, but how can we solve it? How can we think differently? And, and I feel and very lucky. Good thing? incredible. Sorry. Don't you think that's a positive thing? It is. It is. It gets tiring though, when you're always okay. like, oh yeah, okay. The boss wants me. <laughs> but, right. you know, it, it is a positive thing. And I think in philanthropy, I personally feel, and this is where I'm going to get on my soapbox. I feel there's no excuse for foundations who are not taking risks and okay. sticking their necks out to try their best to solve mm-hmm. the problem. You know, because yeah. then why be a foundation? And it all kind of gets to, you know, do you want to simply optimize our current system or do you want to transform it? And if you have to trans, if you want to transform it, then you have to be disruptive. And if you want to be disruptive, then you have to have courage and conviction, which are two of our values, by the way. <laughs> wow. And I see it in you. I mean, you're living it even in, in, you know, like you said, in your personal life. I love that you're, you're really taking that out of the office. <laughs> yeah. Well, my husband doesn't love it so much, but you know, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's good. And actually I, I, I love that element. It keeps me, I always say to my colleagues, like running and doing these crazy sports on the weekends kind of keeps me sane. Yeah. Um, but I do think though, there's a lot to be said about having the space to be able to take these risks, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not everyone has that luxury. You know, you need to be able to, you need to be able to feel like you can fail and that's okay. You know, and, and that's what's yeah. important in a culture. And we're still building our culture, but I think Absolutely. this concept of being able to try your best and, and if you fail, it's okay. In fact, we're even looking at doing a fail fest later this year to kind of <laughs> celebrate, you know, these huge failures we had, but actually celebrate the fact that people talk about them and learn from them. Like that's well, something I to think celebrate. That's the- the key, right, is is the idea that you can fail and you learn from it, and exactly, and and then you grow from there, and and that does take courage, and I think that a culture, the the leader must model that, and it sounds like that's what you're doing, uh, or you know, making your best attempt at <laughs> pushing out of your yeah. own comfort zones in order to to do that at work, and 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 allow others to to take those risks. I mean, that's that's amazing. And that's where the innovation happens. And I think the other thing that comes to my mind is that when we talk about leadership, you know, one of the competencies, and it's an emotional intelligence competency, is optimism. Now, I think usually we talk about that optimism, it needs to be pretty grounded in reality, too, to be able to look at what could derail us. And and I think what you're talking about is even a further step of, of maybe a naive optimism sometimes but it sounds like with philanthropy, you're making a distinction. Sometimes you have to be that way. You, you have to be yes. an extra mile to encourage that transformation and change. And, you know, I, I think that the big, the big, the people really transforming our world are, have got to do that. Yeah. Oh, I fully agree. I fully agree. And it's, um, you know, the system won't change itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> basically it's it's set up to perpetuate itself you know and business won't transform itself it's set up to optimize its right. current model yeah. and there's many good things about business and the models and the system um yeah. but 
you know, there's also things that need to be addressed. So I think, yes, you, you, you're absolutely right. And, and I, I think not all, not all foundations take this view necessarily. Um, and, and more should. And I mean, just, just as an example, I just saw a report that was done by the Environmental um, Funders Group, European Environmental Funders Group, mm-hmm. and EFC, um, the European Foundation Center. And it was fascinating because it was a report looking at the data of funders in environmental topics and kind of mm-hmm. where their funding goes. And what my key, key tape, takeaway of this was there's a lot of funding flowing Um, But the amount of funding going into what could be seen as maybe more disruptive areas was small, very small. Um, So like one one example of disruptive area when it comes to trying to tackle the climate crisis would be trying to prevent, you know, new coal mines from being opened, for example. Well, and how do you do that? You could do that through strategic litigation, uh, for example. Um, and that's space that some foundations are playing in. There's some really great ones that are are going after that, but it's it's disruptive mm-hmm. and um, it's hard, and, and not everyone wants to stick their necks out. So it's it's interesting to see, you know, with this very flexible capital that you still uh, don't see the level of yes, maybe disruption. And disruption isn't actually the silver bullet. I mean, I want to be very clear. There's great work that happens that's really just you know, trying to strengthen, you know, the elements that need strengthening. Okay. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's something that we all need to do a bit more of. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're coming to the end of our time. I'm wondering if, if you would be willing to share a piece of advice for someone who is trying to lead with purpose and to create an innovative and people focused work culture. Yeah, well, I think, um, first of all, I feel very lucky because, you know, in a foundation, the the folks that I work with are already very purpose-driven. That's why they came to work for a foundation. (laughs) So I feel like I have an easy job, you know, so (laughs) take my advice with a grain of salt. But I do think, I mean, first and foremost, it's so important that leaders start with themselves and understand, you know, what drives you? Can you identify your own purpose, you know, and, and... and why, you know, you need to know your why um, yeah. before you can even lead others. And others will 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 come along with you if they understand their why, you right. know, and, and so that's that's where as a leader, you not only need to kind of show what can be and craft that better world or that vision or the the from to that we all are working toward, mm-hmm. um, but also more importantly, show why, why we care about that. Um, and sometimes it. that's missing. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, great organizations out there that maybe have a great mission statement. Um, but unless people can connect what they do day to day with that broader why and purpose, you know, it's, it's hard to bring them along. Um, and I also think as a leader, you are only as good as the people that you attract and work with to come along with you. And in my own approach has been to find the best and most talented people you can find and get out of their way (laughs) so that they can do their magic. Get out of their way. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Let people do what they're good at. Yeah. And remove the barriers. I mean, that's, that's what leaders should do. You know, it's not about the leader, but it's about Mm -hmm. enabling others to rise to their potential. And a lot of times that means, you know, making it easier. Yeah. 
That's great. I mean, that is a little bit of that servant leader mindset, right? That you're you're there to make their job easier so that they can do their thing and, and do the best they can. And and yeah. and in the meantime, you're all able to be disruptive, so to speak. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. Great. Well, Leslie, thank you so, so much. It's been so wonderful to to talk with you. Thank you. Well, it's been such a pleasure and honor and so great to reconnect with you, Kristen. I know it really is. It really is. So hopefully we'll, we'll, you know, just keep in touch and keep talking about these things. And if, you know, if as listeners, you're interested in, in hearing more from Leslie, she has, correct me, two TED Talks. Is that right, Leslie? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Two TED Talks um, that are wonderful. And you can look up the Lotus Foundation and, and, and she's active on LinkedIn as well. Anything else we should, we should know about you, Leslie? Um, no, but if anyone uh, wants to know more about marathons, happy to share my uh, <laughs> my, my story uh, from nothing to a little bit of something. So no, but uh, thank you for the opportunity, and it's it's great to uh, to talk about this important topic. Great. Well, thank you so much. And this is Humans with Resources, the podcast about the human side of innovation. And if you like the show, please do take a moment to rate us and review us and, and, sh- and share the, the episodes. Also, check out our website with important links from our show in the show notes. See you next time on Human with Resources. Humans with Resources, the human side of innovation. Innovation.